you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Thanks for joining us for your second Take Two podcast of the week. I am Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News, joined uh, by the experts in the house, Mara Carabello from Exoro Group and Greg Hughes, who calls himself Citizen Hughes. That's me. Former Speaker of the House, now an outsider. But I uh, rely on you two during the legislative session because I watch as much as I can, but I watch from afar. You guys are in there knee-deep, socks and shoes off, <laughs> hanging out in the you Capitol. Know, there's a lot of news going on that you have you have the responsibility of informing Utahns on a, on a very broad level. And so the legislative process is just one of your many, many I know, I've got murders yeah. and areas. mask mandates and so much else, but sometimes they <laughs> all, a lot of chaos. They all yeah. come together. Uh, this has been a busy week, though, in Utah politics and even national politics when you look at it. We're into Biden's second term. We have the state of the state here in Utah last night. A big vote coming from the legislature today that I conspiracy theorized in my head when I was staying up late at night that the House put off their vote until the state of the state with the governor. But Mara, you think that maybe I'm going down a conspiracy like tunnel. I, no. I like the conspiracy. I just don't know that I believe it. I mean, it would mean that the House and the and the governor's office were conspiring together to get better press for the governor. <laughs> and I just, I, I suspect that You think the House true. is not trying to lift that's him up. true. Mm. The governor did give a good speech, um, as everyone expected, because he's a good speech giver. He does a lot of good things from a tactical point of view. He jumps right into it. He doesn't do a lot of platitudes. He's got a great style. He doesn't have any verbal crutches. But also he did something that's hard to do, and, and, and we should note it, though. He was able to, in many ways, once the governor... Um, sends over his budget. And every legislator with a little bit of attitude will tell you that they throw it in the garbage. And so after he does that, in some ways, it, what he has is the bully pulpit and will. And this governor wields those really well. You saw him evoking legislation and he was saying, help me lead on it. And it's such a good strategy because otherwise he doesn't actually have much to offer. He doesn't yeah. have the purse strings. It's just a and wish so, list otherwise. Right, and he did a really good job acting. I, don't, I mean that... I mean that process. <laughs> he did a good job acting like he had some control over what the legislature was going to do. He was really smart to evoke specific bills and challenge everybody to join him and this so this legislator in doing X, Y, and Z. So from a technical point of view, and I mean, the guy emotes like nobody's business, right? He stays value-driven. Um, he's, he's emotional. Sort of, he's very he's welcoming of intact. many different groups. Yeah. So well done from sort of a performance measure. I'll, 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 I'll go one step further. Everything you've just said, Mara, I agree. I think one of the things that's different about Governor Cox and Governor Herbert is I think that some of the appointments and some of the hires that Governor Cox has made uh, has really elevated the office and the executive branch in his office. I think some of these cabinet members are the best we that even though I'm not a public servant any longer, these are people that I've known in their capacity in other parts of state government that are just phenomenal leaders. He has recently hired a new legislative liaison who is a, a, someone who used to work and uh, advocate on behalf of, of taxpayers associate or no league of cities and towns. And then Utah for a good state. while, Utah hey, state Aggies university. 
And this is a this is an individual that has a, a lot is is regarded highly by lawmakers. And if you put someone like that, do you want to say their name out loud? In yeah, case somebody's yeah. Not Neil, Neil Abercrombie. Okay. Neil Abercrombie. I'm a big fan. Of, I, I consider him to be one of the solids uh, on Capitol Hill when you needed real information, good and bad. He was always a good purveyor of that information, and he can get his point across. And so he's been a good advocate for Utah State University, for League of Cities and Towns when he worked there. For him to be now the legislative liaison, it it raises the game for the governor in terms of how he's interacting with the legislative branch because it's not just, hey, we don't like that bill or we may veto that or, hey, these are the appropriation requests we we want. What you heard in the speech and we, we heard the state of the state you're going to, th- those will be continuing conversations, I think, in this session that I don't think, well, I know that I didn't engage in when I was uh, on the clock uh, at, in the legislature, in the legislative uh, session. So I think that, that when he speaks of some of his objectives and what they, he'd like to see, he has put a team around himself that makes that more of a reality than I think has been the case in the past. So I, I think, uh, Anyway, that's I think that matters too. I think that um, some criticisms of Governor Herbert when he was in office, sometimes there was things he that we thought that he wanted passed, but people said behind the scenes they didn't see him, you know, working with legislators and like pushing and like getting out there right. and messaging. And sometimes, if you can control the message, you control a lot. Yeah, so no, this will it, be a telling session for that though, right? I think he has set it up for all of us to believe it's sort of old school Mike Levitt. Mike Levitt worked the system like nobody's business, and this governor has certainly put those in. Those, those positions, as Greg has said, in place. We should yeah. give a shout-out to the Democratic response. I think really what you heard them say is more of an – it wasn't actually, a, in, from my point of view, a totally different agenda. It was slightly different emphasis, more emphasis on affordable housing, more emphasis on a targeted tax cut. And when did that happen? When was there a Democrat response? Like they posted the video to like social that? media. They, they recorded early. We should all give a, give a little good thought to um, Senator Karen Maine, who did the Senate response who has since broken her shoulder. She's not here, and and it's because she had a a fall, but she did a great job in the Senate response. Yeah, so... uh, I'm just teasing. Minority leader Brian King's a friend of mine. I like to tease him. And the lighting was... Really nice. The lighting was beautiful, <laughs> but I felt like the soft focus of the background was a bit much for me. Did I you? can't believe we're focusing on these things, but they did look great. And I, I love good lighting more than anyone. It's like free Botox and can like yeah. back you uh, off 10 years yeah. easily. Uh, now we've got to talk about, so COVID obviously is going to be a theme and just hopefully a piece of the legislative session, not the entire session, because there's a lot of money and a lot of things to talk about. But we came into the session um, with President Stuart Adams. We knew that he had COVID last week, and the new CDC rules are that you can come back after five days. So he was fine coming back, but then people were mad he wasn't wearing a mask. There was mixed messaging on whether he tested positive or negative. And then all of a sudden, we had the vote on the masks. Uh, Greg, you start on this. Uh, Did he mess up not just saying, this is what happened, this is what my test results are? Because does it matter... This is a question yeah. I have, and some people argue that it does or doesn't matter, but you can test positive for three months afterwards. So does it matter if you're still testing positive, and should you just outright say, I tested positive, so no one has to go in there and grandma and I think it's a lot of I, – I think it's a much ado about nothing. I, I think that what he said was actually accurate. He took it. It came up one way. He took it again. It came up another way. Uh, he mentioned it in his, uh, in his opening day address. Um, People can go ahead and parse the words or or find scandal where there is none. 
But that's the first day of the session. There'll be very substantive and, and impactful issues that are going to take up the time of that legislative body and hopefully the media's coverage of it. And we're going to move on to the real important things. This, the, I read that and I just did a – I actually, I didn't even get through it. I just did an eye roll because so, I just think it's so just this, it's just drama about the same topic that we've been living through for over two years. So the stuff about Senator Adams was for sure small ball petulance. Yes. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't. But I will tell you what I've taken umbrage <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> small ball, but here no, comes no, the button. I mean, the stuff where that stupid stuff. Yeah. But what I'm frustrated with is I believe in a monolithic, super duper majority environment that we're living in. It it is it it it's the purview of the Republicans to just say, hey, listen, here's the deal. We don't like the mask mandates because we're mapping to the people in our party, and we don't think it's good politic. But I. They're pretending it's fundamental Republican policy, and I think they're making a mistake because I, I would ask that if when, when I heard the impassioned speeches about my body, my choice, and when I heard the impassioned speeches about get out of my health care and health care should be between me and my doctor and this is a freedom, a, a civil rights issue, I would like that applied to women's reproductive choices. And when you can be honest about government overreach, mm -hmm. then I'll accept it as a policy. But I don't think there's honesty there. So I say, hey, you're in the supermajority. You can do Mara, whatever you are, want. Are you making so the Democrat case for why we shouldn't have mask mandates? I'm making the and, Democratic and medical case freedom. Are, is, are you, is that what you just said? I, I, no, I I Because I, I could ask the same for you. You should apply the same, right? The principles I, I of do, medical as you freedom. Know, I have been pretty loose, and I do think that what the Republicans are responding to, which is firmer policy ground for them to stand on, yeah. is, hey, listen, people ain't buying it anymore, so don't shove it down their throat. It's just going to make yeah. it worse. Yeah. So when you're making a political argument, don't negate it. Make the political argument. Yeah. So don't lay on fundamental principles that you're not going to use. It's a mistake in the long run. They have put some public support, although I say that, and Channel 2, as you all know, if you're following, did a public poll in which most of the Utahns said that they wouldn't have repealed the Salt Lake County mask mandate. The other thing that just shows its gamesmanship is we have to remember this mandate um, sunsets on February 7th. So it's, it's not like it's we It's like were, two weeks away. We were here, essentially here's two weeks like, in. So it was political, and that's okay. But, like, make it political. Don't pretend that this is about... So, so, so let's talk about the politics, yeah. Greg, because you yeah. said you kind of know what happened because obviously the Senate took it up. If the House wanted to, they could have taken it up just as quickly and voted on it. And that's a whole other issue. The and Senate we have pivoted away from President debate. Adams and oh, we are into the, into the mask. COVID vote. We the are. COVID so vote. we're talking about the COVID vote. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I thought we, we were <laughs> done with Adams. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to talk about um, the vote. So the Senate took it up. They didn't uh, have a floor debate. They just kind of went for it, made the vote. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. The House could have done the same. Were they deliberating? Were they thinking about it? Were they pulling their um, people? Like, why did they wait? Fear. It was, I could smell it. So I haven't been back to the, the, the I haven't been back uh, to a first day of a general session or actually any of the general session in person in the gallery until this Tuesday. Have and you I, ever been in the gallery? I'm, I'm not. I, like before I was elected, I was way back oh. when. And I think I've gone up like not during a session, but like as a tour or something like that, but not set. So I'm literally in the citizen Hughes in the cheap seats. I was actually sitting next to a guy named George Zinn. If anyone knows about his omnipresence in politics, he's a great guy. But anyway, 
I was watching the first day and how it was coming because those are all my friends and former colleagues. And so they're all grown up. They're all out there doing the thing. And so, so I wanted to. This is like watching The Bachelor for you. It's like, it's, you know, I'm, watching, I'm just TV. watching all my friends and I'm watching this go. <laughs> and I decide I want to go and see it in person. And I'm telling you that I could smell the fear in that body like I had when I had served. There's times where people make votes or decisions based out of fear instead of what they've campaigned on or what they principally believe. Uh, it is, I think, Speaker Wilson's uh, first day address. He talked about some of the hard things that are going to confront the state in an election year and how to not manage but still lead as we need a legislative branch to do. And I was, and those were that was music to my ears. I will tell you, the reason that bill did not come to the floor sooner than later, and it really wasn't, it's probably a day late because if, if, if a bill comes over from the Senate, it's not it's more tradition than not that it would take the next day for it to be on the on the Senate or the House calendar. Um, and so it was maybe one day delayed. But I think there were, uh, lo- not think, I know there were lawmakers that would just like to not have to vote on it. Uh, and they didn't want to. And so they were, they, but the problem with that is that there has been, you know, Youngkin wins in Virginia. And many people have pointed to the angry moms or the frustrated families and how, COVID or how these things, how education's been influenced in, in, a, in a detrimental way, there is a, a culmination of parents out there that want their kids to go back to school that do not have a lot of faith in the remote learning, that want to, to see this happen. And they see these mandates in two particular counties out of 29 uh, as more random or sadly, even if they're not right, they think it's political. So you saw there was an incredible amount of feedback happening by way of emails and texts to house members from frustrated parents who wanted their kids back in school and wanted to get things going again and felt that the mask mandate, uh, if you looked around Salt Lake County, nobody was following it except for the schools, except for the children. And Costco, they're really strict about yeah, it. Yeah, maybe there. Yeah. But I'm, so it was... It they, was the led, and, lawmakers were getting huge amounts of feedback. Oh, who knows? In, incredible who knows? amounts. But like I heard from everyone. I don't, I don't know what the count is. I don't think we do. But yeah. they were feeling the, the pressure, the heat on this. And industry. the interesting thing, if you just hyper-focus on Salt Lake County, even when you look at the Republicans on the county council there that were taking up the vote just a week ago... Uh, you see very different uh, response from Amy Winder Newton and Dave right. Alvord. And Dave Alvord um, talking about how, you know, we go local and local should have control, but he's not talking about the county council anymore. He's talking about the family. That's kind of the spin that's happening right now yeah. from Republicans saying, you know, let families choose. And bottom mm-hmm. line, when it comes down to it, I mean, we all have to do what's best for our families, whether there's a mandate or not. So, I and mean, I'm sure there'll be more yeah. to talk about. Next so yeah. there was a, one of the uh, House members, uh, Representative Burton, uh, he represents a district in Utah County. He was, he used to lead our, our Utah National Guard. And he was assigned briefly to run uh, Utah's health department during COVID uh, under Gary Herbert's administration. And he's a state lawmaker now, a state house member. He got up today and he spoke about uh, mandates or government uh, mandates where they're not enforceable or they're not being enforced. And it has the effect of undermining the rule of law if you're not seeing these mandates that are being enforced and it puts law enforcement in a very difficult place. It puts a lot of people in a difficult place if you have mandates that where people are supposed to be following and they're not. And so he just felt like it wasn't a practical solution at this point where we are in this pandemic. And so he was voting to to override it. It needs to be noted. This wasn't. Uh, this is part of the le- legislation that was passed. It, it it points to a local process that counties have, but it also has the the legislature staying in a leadership role 
where by resolution, and this was articulated in the, the bill they passed last year, that they could do exactly what they did today, yeah. and, okay. and by so resolution, Greg's do it. done that. I, okay. I'm, I'm coveted out. I'm ready. Yeah, to move on. yeah I'm ready right. to move on. I'm, but that was it, that was the I'm palace entry. It was, they were afraid, and then they got the pressure, and then they put it on the floor, and it passed overwhelmingly. If you're interested, I do think one thing that's worth looking at. I'm going to post it online um, on KUTV.com. But uh, I believe it was Todd Weiler who posted some of the numbers for school districts for the mass. And I think it's interesting. And I don't think you can tell the whole story with that. But Salt Lake City has a mask uh, mandate in their schools. The others don't. And it's hard to tell if they're really doing a lot. And I think that was one of the arguments people so, were looking uh, at and okay, saying, you know, are they not going to stop it? I'm just going to give a shout out to my daughter's school. 92% of the students are vaccinated and they have been wearing masks the whole times. And you know what they are? They're in school, and yeah. they are not going to not be in school. Is, and I'm not trying to throw down, but I'm telling you, they are in school, and they're going to stay in Amara, school. Mara, earnest question. Does Omicold or Omicron, uh, has that had an impact in, in that yeah, school? Yeah, and they're tracking it, yeah. and they have in, they have quick testing that you can go to the school, and they ask you to stay home. But they're only offering Zoom if you have it. Like, they're trying to get kids to not do an at-home Are option. they testing everyone or just people that sh- exhibit sim- symptoms? Just It's it's self. Everything, to your point, larger, every Everything is sort of self-notification. Okay. Yep. But nobody, it's working in nobody some of these private schools, I'm hearing, but, yeah. But I'm also just saying it's not – it's just that the rates were high and the, the community – protected itself by doing the same methods and those who have symptoms stay home for a few days but what they're not doing is if then you don't have symptoms then come on back like there's they're really being more common sense which is what we keep saying they're more being common sense about it. absolutely and i would like my son back <laughs> at school too he had a few sniffles so i kept him home like out of being super careful and then the school closed down so he's been at home like in his pajamas on the laptop i have week, more to so say about to this back. but i i will not I'm say sorry, anymore because i know right we, now, i know we beat this i'm gonna get you on the uta the, train right now yeah, so there's um, a possibility <laughs> in the legislature right now and the thought process that maybe free public transit would clean up our air. And clean air is something that everyone's worried about here in Utah. Greg, is it worth spending $50 million a year so that people can ride public transit for free? No, I, I don't. I think that the investment per rider or subsidy per rider is exists already. I think that uh, there is a fare box recovery that is part of their budget and I don't. I, I, I think that the, I don't think that the prices to get on a UTA tracks uh, train or bus is prohibitive, and I don't think uh, it would make that big of a difference. I'll tell you what does make a big difference, and that is when gasoline prices get north of four dollars a gallon, people start opting for the for the mass transit. But so, I, I don't think that it's going to. I think I, a lot of people already ride for free anyway. Am I wrong? It's, it's I don't 50 know. Fifty million think, ongoing, the highest and best use to help clean our air to give free passes to UTA. I would say no. I think Jill Briscoe's bill is worth a try, and it's because, as Greg pointed out, we're already eighty-five to ninety percent subsidizing your fare. So going that last ten percent, I don't know if it's a deal we're breaker. Going the so I, I think it should be a test cycle, and I think it needs to be. Um, coupled with some PR educate, you can't like a year just, free or six months free, or like what? a year. You need to give it a good year. You need to give it some juice behind it. You need to do a better job publishing the schedules and really selling the why on bus. But I think if you knew you could jump in, jump off, and it's not even the cost, maybe so much as the hassle, right? Like I don't know how to get it. Da 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 da. Let's give it a go because we were already subsidizing eighty five to ninety percent. Why not go that last ten percent? I, I will say we subsidize roads um, unless it's a toll. Oh, I wasn't we, busting we on this. I know you're not, but I'm just saying that we have a gas tax. It doesn't pay for all the roads repair or, or expansion of, but we do have a gas tax that helps pay for, contributes to the use of the roads. Um, and if the road isn't a toll road, 
and it's empty at night and it's, you know, it, it, it is subsidized. It's, it doesn't pay for itself. And so transportation, public tra- transportation infrastructure, be it rail, road, buses, whatever it is, it's something that government does and it makes your economy stronger. It makes, you know, makes a, a it's, it's a proper role of government to say it's free. It's not free. It's some, it's going to get paid one way or the other. I think that the fare box recovery is not a, a huge amount of it. And it's an appropriate amount. All right. We'll be watching yeah. that. I know there was a lot of talk early on this week um, with the bill about ending the death penalty. Mara brought up a bill, though, that we haven't heard a lot about. And it's actually just made it out of committee at this point. And um, I think this one's super interesting right now, Mara, is the digital uh, driver's license. Yeah. So this is not its first go around. It first yeah. presented itself in 2019, which makes it more interesting because they worked out a lot of kinks. And remember at the time... There was a fair questioning of how good the state was at keeping our driver's license information private. So I want to acknowledge that if they haven't really fixed that, which they say they have, but (laughs) if you presume that they have fixed that little problem with sharing, what I like about this is you can keep it on your phone and it's opt-in. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But when you show someone, be it law enforcement or whomever, your driver's license, it just gives them a QR code and it, it verifies that you're like over. 21 or whatever they need to verify it doesn't actually give them their home address or I mean I'm sure law enforcement can see it but it provides some protections and security if you're walking into a restaurant and just need to show an ID level but it's my support of this and interest in this is one I don't like to carry purses on the weekends but two it's assuming that the state has gotten their act together on not sharing our drivers and I think that's the big worry from people so before I knew this was making it um, through a house committee I think it's been happening for a few months, and I don't even know where the paper came from, but people have been sharing some flyer with a QR code themselves online about digital driver's licenses, where they're worried about health records, vaccine records, financial reports, credit scores, and all of this sex offender status, your voting registry, rewards programs. All of it uh, turning into social credit scoring, sort of like what you see in but China. But the sponsor is saying yeah. this protects it. That protects this, it. It makes it so that only the only thing you as a restaurant person is having access to is a thumbs up is or what a thumbs you need down to see. on your, your age. Yeah. Right. So is there a way we can protect that information? Because I think that's the fear of people. And I think uh, there's fear with everything. I mean, when all of a sudden you're using credit cards and you're used to, you know, dollar bills and coins, and then you go to Venmo or PayPal or whatever it is, when we change... It's hard to know, is this secure? Is my information safe? And does it balloon into something bigger where the state tracks everything about me? I, I'm, I will always be cynical or skeptical of, of how much we want to digitize our private information because I don't think that there's a, a yes or no answer on whether it's secure. I think it's an ongoing battle. Um, cybersecurity is evolving by the second. Uh, the numbers years ago, uh, the tax commission told me the number of attacks or, or attempts to break into their system to get information, you know, millions, um, millions a, a week or a, a, some short amount of time and the amount globally that the, it was being, their system was being attacked or someone was trying to get in, it's, it's, it, it blows the mind. So I, I just don't think that, I, I even worry about those apps that say, here, put all your passwords on this app. And our app is super duper safe and it has every encryption in the world. And, and I wouldn't know if it's actually encrypted really well. It just says it in the app that it is. But I just think it's, I, I worry about it because I just think that there's always someone figuring out how to beat the mousetrap and you can keep building a better mousetrap, but there are people that are going to keep beating it. So how much of that personal information do you want to digitize? 
I'm old school. I just, I'd rather just keep this this driver's license so in my wallet and in my pocket. Staying on this bill, the fun part is it just, as Heidi said, it just passed out of a committee. So it'll have floor votes in another committee. Um, so it'll be fun to watch it. I, I will say against my own point. Okay. okay. Years You're and years. You're counterpointing yes, yourself. Yes, I'm, I'm going to counterpoint well, I'm just, myself. I can sit back. Yes, you can just sit back. I'll be Mara for a second. But no, <laughs> this happened to me. So years and years ago before smartphones, uh, when I was in the legislature, they there was this idea that we should put these devices in our car that would allow us to, or allow government to monitor what roads we're on for, to charge a fare. Yeah. Okay. And I felt like that was the biggest big brother thing in the whole world until we had phones that will tell me where I'm going before I go there, you know, and tell me how long it's going to take until all that privacy in terms of where we're going and who's tracking it seemed to be more, uh, you know, at least tech companies know where you're going and what you're doing. Um, and now I have the little HOV lane thing on my car yeah. that I thought was just yeah. given into big Armageddon. Brother. I mm. thought you put that on your car and you let government know that you may as well just give it all up. This it's is over. The tricky so part, cause I, I came away. I, I've, I've left that, that paranoia or that worry because kind of the world started doing, start monitoring us and watching us anyway. So then I was like, then well, it turns into convenience. I'll pay to be on that I, lane. I mean, I think we're all in one pager and I mean, I, I we switch sides <laughs> until I remember you're this age, like your student ID used to be your social security number. Yeah, I'm like I wrote I wrote my social security number on every piece of paper yeah. anyone ever handed me. I'm oh like, yeah, I could say mine forwards backwards, my husband's <laughs> yeah. forward right. backwards, so upside we down. We don't share yeah. that I anymore. Get, no, I get I'm not so, giving that out. I agree. I get so freaked out about this, and then I'm like, yeah, back in the old days where I wrote my social security number down on everything, and then I have to own the fact that I too am a little afraid of security. But if you asked me if my card is auto loaded when I buy things on Amazon. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I know yeah, I we do give that away too, the farm on this stupid phone like, of ours. Do not do that. Right. So exactly. I know you exactly. You decide your risk. And I think we're like frogs in the water. If you just slowly <laughs> warm us up and boil us to death, it's fine. I think that's yeah. right. But yeah, cause I, I had that same thing when I was living in Florida, you had toll roads and you, I was like, I'm just going to carry quarters and dollars. And at some point you're getting tickets cause you don't have quarters and dollars and you're like, fine. You can track me wherever I go. I'm it's stick just this bad easier. Boy in my just yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. big changes there. Uh, speaking of changes, Utah, uh, the latest growth projections have come out from the Kemsey Gardner Institute, and they are expecting that we'll have 5.5 million people living in Utah uh, by the year 2060, which isn't that far away. Right now, I think we're at about 3.2 million. The interesting thing is, is they said we're growing like crazy, and we're going to keep growing, but this it's going to slow down. So it's going to grow fast, but not as exponentially as it is. Um, 66% growth though in what, 40 yeah, years? So That's what I lot. like, I mean, these projections have stayed sort of uh, pointed in the same direction for several years. So they weren't new. For all the wonks listening, if, go go to Kempsey Gardner's site and you can pull up this. Yeah. And what I think is interesting at this moment in time is Go look through the tables and the charts and the different, particularly the different counties, and you will see growth reflected in a lot of the underlying arguments of good legislation. There's some cruddy legislation that doesn't reflect it, but some good legislation does. An example of that is water policy is one of our biggest um, topics this year. And if you look at water statewide, you're making a mistake, right? So one of the most interesting graphs are put aside the population um, graph and go to the householding graph. And it's interesting because suddenly, you know, Salt Lake and Utah County, which are the largest 
population yeah. growth. Salt Lake falls to like, I think, 73%, um, which you think is a big household, until you realize there's like seven or eight small counties that have plus 110, plus 112, 15, 130% household growth. Well, so if you're a guy who's or a person who's doing water policy, household growth is what you care about. That's really where water is going to go. So we, we always do top lines, how big, how many more people, how much traffic. But go start thinking about what it means in a small county to have double the houses and and not only roads and, and, and schools, but just how do you decide if you are someone who's sitting on ARPA money and someone who's sitting on surplus money and you want to do next generation. So that definitionally is putting in the ground in 30 to 50 years, suddenly these population numbers become super interesting to guide those decisions. How many people need to take a shower? How long can their shower be? There's so many well, things to I'll, think about. I'll tell you this. It, I think the way they come up with those numbers, they look at you know, birth rates and everything else and Im- Im- migration into the state and a natural growth from within the state. That's all fine. But you've got four counties out of 29 where 80% of Utah's population reside. That is not sustainable. And you can you can try to extrapolate how how many kids we're having going forward. You're not fitting 80% of the 5 million number of population in just four counties out of 29. Yeah, there's nowhere else so, to no, go at some there point. there isn't. Yeah. It's, it, and it's a valley. I mean, we have – it's not Dallas-Fort Worth. It's not a plane. You can't just keep sprawling forever. We are – we have some limitations by way of Utah's, uh, you know, geography that we cannot keep growing. 80% in just four counties. So – to Mara's point, you better have the water. You better have the jobs. You better have the infrastructure to see all, our, all of our counties start to prosper and young people that can stay and live and find careers and raise families within the count, these smaller counties or move there. If my kids can't afford the cost of living or don't like the quality of life in Salt Lake County or the Wasatch Front, hopefully they could find a county in Utah where they don't have to move out of state but somewhere where they could start their life and have have a and be closer to me than further away from me, that's so all that that projection of population. There is a ton of work that has to happen, and some of it's happening right now. But we, I still think we're a Wasatch Front centric mindset when we think about growth and when we think about the impact of the state. We have got to understand there that growth cannot occur just in the four counties of the Wasatch Front. We have got to start getting that in our minds. I think Cash County and Logan's going to be our next big city that we talk about. I do too. And South Utah County. If you, South Utah County, yeah. North San Pete. Yeah. Who there is nothing but lovely weather, not the wind that we have in, let's say, south parts of some other valleys or counties. And it's it's close to the mountains. It has a, a affordability is sort of um, perceived. And I think southern Utah County and northern San Peter. And, 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 the pu- and look, the public's getting tired along the Wasatch Front. They, they themselves, people here know that they can't fit anymore. You can't keep shoehorning them in. It's true. It's, I mean, people are losing elections over this issue of growth because they're saying, look, I already sit in traffic forever. We're already at congestion failure. Our air right. quality is already bad. You cannot keep trying to put more people in here. And so and I, I, I 100% concur. But it, you can't, you can't, we're not going to put laws on how many kids you can have. And we know we have a lot of kids. So what are you going to do? But you got to see that growth happen people statewide. people are having fewer and fewer kids I was just going to say, that tells life. us we're it's having a slower, yeah. it's a slower, it's a, well, it's, it might be, but it's, but we're still higher than national average and you'll, Especially if you're a part of a special interest group or interested, and maybe you do already read it, but reading this report every year really helps spark 
better ideas about where to invest. Yeah. Absolutely. And we've been talking a lot about the legislative process this week. I wanted to mention, Mara, you brought this up. Uh, we're losing another member of the Utah Supreme Court. The second in recent months, Dino Hamonis uh, stepped down. I think it was October or November. And now uh, Justice... Thomas Lee. Thomas Lee. Also, my, yeah, he um, is stepping down. I think his last, I think he has like six more months or close to that. It's in the middle of the summertime that will be leaving. So, um, and he was, I think he was on the top list for possible SCOTUS picks for Trump. So, uh, changes there. Mara, do you have any intel of where he's going or what he's up to next? Well, you know, what's interesting about the article is that he said, I'm going to continue legal pursuits. I mean, it, it, so I usually, that's they a very re- wide they age retire, it seems. Usually yeah. they're like, catch you later, I'll be fishing. He sort of said, I'm staying in the legal business, so it'll be interesting to watch him. He is often credited with the powerhouse brain he has. And so what I think is interesting, we don't have the same sort of drama and contention around labeling our justices. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today is I want to remember the third branch, the judiciary branch, because right now um, government Governor Cox has two appointees. And what I'm interested in is it's not going to have the partisan bickering that the Supreme Court justice yeah. has. But the Utah State Supreme Court has some gravitas and directly, I mean, they are making big decisions that impact every Utah. So this is one of the political um, appointments that you can watch, and hopefully it finally it lacks rancor. But it'll be interesting to see who's on the short list. If Cox holds the tradition of Herbert, they go through like eight interview cycles and, and, and put these potential justices through the rigors. Um, and, and he is retiring, it seems, sort of young, so we'll want to watch what he's doing. But also we have two new appointees, and that'll change the composition just as yeah. in individuals who are joining. And they make really important decisions for us. Absolutely. Justice Dino Homonas, I think, went back into private practice. And I think the interesting thing is most of us don't pay um, very close attention to the Supreme Court unless there's a, a Utah Supreme Court, unless there's a big case going on. But Utah Supreme Court, much like our political offices, I kind of think they punch above their weight class. And some of the decisions they're making are being watched across the country and not just across the country, but around the world and trying to get um, law to people who otherwise couldn't afford it or didn't have the accessibility. So they're doing some interesting things there. So I think it'll be interesting to see who they pick and what comes well, next. Uh, State Supreme Court Justice Tom Lee, I would argue, would be the, the, the strong conservative jurist. He would have been the Scalia of our, of our State Supreme Court. And so who replaces... Justice Tom Lee will be interesting because you'd hope to have that uh, that strong conservative perspective. When he was on the majority or the or the dissent, you you he was very very consistent in his approach. Um, I love Justice. Uh, I always me- I always don't want to mess up his name. Hemonis. Hemonis. Right? I, I always yeah. when I was Humpton a speaker Dino and Hemonis. I would welcome our state of the judiciary and I would welcome each of them. I was always paranoid I was saying his name because I actually have had some really great conversations with this I like him so much he's a you talk about a Cinderella story a guy that just you know has done so much uh in his life and uh I just really like him and I public servants he is and 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 so him leaving the court I just I loved his eye on it and I just I just loved his personal story too so anyway I I I think you're right I think our court and I think both of you are right it's being watched nationally because i think they're very deliberative in what they do and we have not had that 
rancor and that you know it's not been overly it's not been politicized and so even I, though you just slid some well Scalia is not political just he's just wicked no, smart you that's said all he's good because he's conservative but I mean you know he clerked for Clarence just I just I know it's so just awesome this one time. that's not political that's just cool. good information I know and you guys it's been such a busy week in Utah we can't even get to the whole Biden's a year in his record breaking news conference say, where he spoke for two is there hours anything and tried to, to say about that where it just doesn't it just doesn't make Mara and I just argue with each other I she know he's so we're going to leave it for ever. another week yeah. every president I think thinks they're the greatest president ever but um We'll leave that for a whole nother day. What I think people really want to know before we go, though, Greg, yeah. you lost 10 pounds by sweating it out and cheating a little bit last week. <laughs> oh, uh, I got how it. did this week go? Did you actually starve yourself or I what am, happened? Did you actually I am lose still, the weight? I, I have, we went double or nothing, so I got a big old uh, weigh-in coming up soon So this weekend. So I'm starving this again. This weekend? Yeah. So well, Greg's be, in a suit, not his elastic yeah. waist pants, so he's yeah, serious. You are looking serious. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be in I'm going to be in this little sweat box. I'm going to be in a slow cooker here soon. You've been doing like early in the morning. Oh, yeah, I Duke get up way out. early. I do. It's I'm not just I'm not just trying to lose water weight. I'm actually hitting the gym. I gained a ton of weight over the last couple of years and now I'm the COVID-15. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. but I don't care about my health or wellness, so I don't lose weight just to be healthier or conscientious. That's weird. good. I like contests. That's good. I like contests. I like to I like to compete. I want to win. I just want to lose weight living longer, by winning. Feeling better, right. mental wellness. Uh, it sounds great. I, those are very good reasons and they sound logical. Yeah. I just want to win, so I have to have a contest and so I'm in a contest and I'm going to win. There's That's no such my, thing as too much winning. Are you using the winnings on something that Heidi and I can benefit Oh from? yeah. Uh, you know, I hadn't thought of that, but I'm just going to make that. I'm just going to make that right decision here right today. here, right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. With, this podcast wins when I win. Just so, just know that I'm gonna. I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna eat a ton when I get done with this this contest. That's but right, because it's not about health and wellness. I'm going. Yeah, I'm gonna shower you with foods and all kinds of cool well, thanks for things. lifting this up with you That's and right. thanks for being with us and if you've listened this long that means you like us a little bit give us a rating tell your friends about us and we will be back next week with maybe one two or three podcasts we don't know yet we don't know